Hey, welcome to Future Chat. Did you listen to... Do you listen to Reconcilable Differences? Of course I do. I listen to it as soon as it comes out. Okay. That one's between that... I'd say that and Cortex are like my 1A, 1B favorites. Really? Hello Internet is like a close two. Yeah. And then ATP, just like it's so regular that it's shifted down in my favorite list. Like it's always fun to listen to. Right. But it's not like as soon as a new one comes out, I'm listening to it. Okay. Because I'm usually trying to catch up all my other stuff. Right. Yeah. What do you ask about the Rectus? Just because the last one they were talking a lot about follow-up. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the invention. Of okay, it. So, okay, so I was thinking about that because when we started, you talked about follow-up coming, or not coming from, but your familiarity with it came from Hello Internet and how they used, they used follow-up. They don't even do follow-up anymore. But they do sometimes, but not uh, often. No, <clears throat> not since as a regular. I, thing. Since I started listening to them, they never do follow up. Maybe, maybe on one would say, "Oh yeah, we had a lot of people write in about our review of Star Wars or whatever." But okay. they don't. They don't do an official follow up segment. Okay. Right. So anyway, I'm just saying that that's my understanding of where you heard about follow up. I, I may have gotten the phrase, like I may may have attributed it to Hello Internet, but. I've listened to enough ATP where John talks about it. And I even listened to a few hypercriticals to know that he came up with it. But did he though? He did. No, he definitely <laughs> did. So this is because this was getting confused because <clears throat> the term follow-up isn't inherently <clears throat> unfamiliar. Like it's not like what's follow-up? I don't understand. Like what are you even talking about? Like it's just a very general concept that how do you even Invented. I can say I can understand. Okay, you're the first to maybe but, regularly no, implement but he it. Made it a. Th- he made it what it currently <sighs> is. He defined it as what it currently is, and other people picked up on it. It's like it's like Merlin saying, creating the term inbox zero. He created that phrase. Okay, even but it, inbox it, zero. I, if I heard someone say, "Oh, inbox zero," I'd be like, "What is that?" I still don't know what that is. What do you mean you don't? You you have a general idea what that is? No, I don't. Uh, I've assumed it's something about keeping your inbox fully empty all the time. Exactly. It sounds exactly like what it is. But if I didn't, I had to think about it. Follow up is like, yeah, that makes sense. No, you didn't have to think about it. I did. No, I off of your head. No, I did. I'd be like, inbox zero. What is that? You've never had it explained, and you're just like, oh, of course that's what it is because that's what it's called. But I've never heard that term before. Follow up. I say follow up all the time in emails. Like, oh, just a follow up on this. Like no, that's but, just a, that's a, that's a common term. I've never used inbox zero in any other context. He's not saying he invented the term follow up. He's saying as okay. a thing at the start of a podcast when you talk about things from past episodes that and follow up on them. That's that's the follow up segment. What I'm saying is it's such <clears throat> a generic and common concept that anyone who's started or on a podcast could quite possibly decide to start doing follow-up organically without having of heard of it from anyone of else but that doesn't that so that's what i'm saying i i don't think it's the kind of thing that can even be claimed to have been invented because and that's what i'm saying maybe he was one of the first maybe the first i don't know to start regularly implementing it into a show but to say he invented it and anyone who starts using follow-up and quote-unquote doesn't know where they got it from it's like well they just came up for themselves they could just as easily say they invented it but if, if they never heard first, of his shows still a thing I don't know. If he I'll, pioneered use of the term, whether or not someone else could independently do it, he still did it first. But so what? 
That's that he's not trying to get like a Nobel Peace Prize. Well, just, I don't know. Based on this last episode, it <laughs> sounded like he was. I think he's just sensitive about it because other people say, "Oh no, you there's no way you could no, have invented it." And I can it totally clearly... understand that. I can totally understand his, you know, quote unquote first degree right. relationships say, "Oh well, I know you did it, but I don't think you invented it." And maybe they're coming at it from the same place I am, where right. it's not something that can be invented. It's the first thing to be implemented regularly and popularize it. Sure, right? Maybe. But that doesn't mean that every other implementation of it traces back far enough down the line to John's implementation of it. But it hasn't been like podcasts have only been a thing for maybe 20 years, if not, if not shorter. Okay. We know, and they were created after the internet, like necessarily they were created after the internet. And so everything, every instance of of the follow-up segment on a podcast is recorded well, yeah, but there's no like dictation of well, every that, single episode to search. Right. Not of every episode. But You'd have to go back down to like the very first podcast ever and start listening from there. Yeah, which you're not going to. So no, but nobody like like he said. I, I and I think that's a good way to go. He said, "Listen, this let like this is going to filter through the internet slowly, probably, but it's going to." And he said. If anybody, like nobody has ever claimed to have invented it other than him. If nobody is staking a claim to it, it's his until that happens. So he's like the Christopher Columbus of podcasts. No, he's like the actual <laughs> without the murder of but... <laughs> the new world. <laughs> like it's, I don't know. It just seems like this so strange thing. It's like, A, why would you care? But fine, you do. Mm-hmm. But then to even go as far as saying, well, he invented it or popularized or made it what it is today. Like, I don't know. I think that's very narrow-minded you or narrow-sighted. To, you would have to come up with something that you invented or developed or discovered. And then tell me how you feel after it gets taken away from you. Because right now you're like, oh, that but that's, guy. That's, that's, that's the, you're, you've already pretense that with it was established and invented. That's what's up for debate. You can't no, say, okay. pretend you are the person who invented it. It's like, no, sure. I'm saying you you would have to go through a process of doing something in that way yourself in order to pass judgment on him for feeling that way after having done so, in his mind or not. Okay, let's let's look at fire. Okay, <laughs> the first person no, or this is, this primate, is a bad argument. <laughs> primate who invented quote Nobody unquote invented, invented fire. fire. The okay? first fire was from lightning. Okay, if not like hot rock. Person made fire, we'll say, right? Or animal made fire, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. where you're rubbing two things together or focusing sun onto something, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. An intentional use of something. To, fire. I don't even know if it goes anthropogenic. It might be more monkeyish than that. But, you know, everyone wants heat. So you're going to look for ways to find heat. Yeah. And if if one of those ways is by using what's around you such as like sticks or a lens to focus the sun or you know that that type thing those are the only two that i can really think of that would be how fire would start aside from like you alluded to lightning or or lava or, or that kind of thing right right there's just so many opportunities to start doing that just amongst a whole ton of people that chances are more than one person or animal started making fire intentionally using those types of methods that you can't say I was the first person to do it. Why can't you say that you were the first person of a group of people to do it? 
Sure, within within a specific circle of people, why not? But what? Why can't this specific circle of people be all people? Because it's impossible to verify that we, we are all with the internet. I would argue we are all one world. Okay, and arguing the fact that people who aren't connected to the internet probably don't have podcasts. Can't you say that someone on the internet community could say they could lay claim that? John isn't saying he invented follow-up. He is, John actually. Is saying, no, he is saying okay, he invented it. He did it. say those words, but I mean, he's <laughs> not saying, I invented it indisputably. No one can can take that away from me. He's saying, he is, would, though. No, he's not, though, because he, he explicitly said, I would love, like, if someone can show me evidence that someone else used it before, I will gladly cede the I know the he said it wasn't. Invention. I know he said it wasn't a come at me, bro, <laughs> but, it, but it is. It's not. <laughs> He, if you gave him a shred of evidence that he, someone else used it first and that maybe he actually had that idea spurred from somewhere else, uh, he would. I know that he would gladly go and cede it to them. So if, if he came up, quote unquote, came up with it independently on his own and someone else independently came up with it on their own and that other person did it first, does that take away anything from what he feels he did? And it shouldn't. You're saying it's truly think. independent. I'm saying if someone else did, I, like, I don't think there is a patient zero of follow-up the same way there would be for some of these other concepts like twerking, right? <laughs> there was a person who first used the term twerk and did it first, okay? Okay. But now it's at the point where it's just a ubiquitous term to describe whatever twerking is, and people just have heard that word, but they don't know where they heard it first or who invented it or whatever. It's just this thing. So the person who's like, I came up with twerking. Okay, I can, that's a defensible claim. Yeah. Okay. But to say I came up with follow up, where, like I said before, you're using that in various other contexts that aren't even related to podcasting. That's just, hey, just to follow up on, or hey, I'm going to call, going to call and follow up on this. That's just a general term. Okay. Have you listened to hypercritical? No. Okay. Because I think the difference is, saying it's like you know how there are apps on various app stores that are just their single let single word names like chrome is an example of that mm -hmm. i know it's branded google chrome but like when you go to your app it's just called chrome that is already a thing but if you say i invented chrome nobody thinks you invented the generic concept of chrome they're talking about specific chrome like he's not saying he invented following up on things he's saying he invented a thing that was a segment that was bundled at the front of a podcast call, specifically called follow-up okay not it's time to follow up on stories from last week it's all right it's time for the segment follow-up packaged okay. before a show i will grant that my familiarity with follow-up comes from, like I said before, Hello Internet and ATP. Hello Internet, mm -hmm. less so more recently, but ATP, yes, they do. Let's start follow-up. This is the end of follow-up. They, right. they make a point to say that every episode, either out of habit or intentional, make sure that you say this is the beginning right. of follow-up. I haven't heard any of the implementations of that, but I've heard of, hey, we got a lot of feedback on this. Right. Oh, you know, we said this last week. Just want to correct that. That's follow-up too, whether you Have call you it that or not. Have you heard an episode of ATP where the other two try to do it, talk about something that isn't follow-up before follow-up? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And he, John says, no, we have to do follow-up first. That's how follow-up works. Right. He's That's talking fine. about his implementation of follow-up, which he invented. But at that point, it's like, who cares? 
well, he cares. And, <laughs> but and but I, people his, but people who hear I invented yeah. follow up was like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Like you can't invent follow up. Right, but there are a lot of things where people say, John, you're crazy for specific things that he does. He may have idiosyncrasies that may or may not be signs of being fully mentally okay. We all have those things. <laughs> it doesn't make him crazy to say, I invented a thing called follow-up and it's this neat little thing. He's not saying, I invented all follow-up. I invented the term follow-up to describe following up on things. He's saying this small package thing that even though Apple put out a new updated Mac Pro, they didn't talk about it first because there was stuff to follow up on from the last episode in the follow-up segment. Like, it's that important to him. Fine. I'm saying that the way he presents his argument and the way he sounds when presenting it makes it sound like he's trying to say he invented the idea of follow-up. Whether or not that's true, and I'd, I'm bet I'm more capable of believing that isn't true, that it's what you're saying, that mm -hmm. the specific implementation of it where it's a dedicated section and you don't deviate from that and it possibly has a certain structure. I don't know what right. his idea follow-up is. That's fine. But this is this turns into one of those arguments that I think I often have with you <laughs> where you're arguing a point and you're like, yeah. no, it's this and this and this points. and this. And it's like, okay, who cares? It's like the airplane on a treadmill thing, <laughs> yeah. right? Or or anything like that. And um, I can't remember. There was something else we were arguing about recently that was, that was kind of like, oh no, with a free will thing. I mm -hmm. think when he was arguing mm -hmm. about free will, he was arguing about a very specific definition of okay. free will, yeah. right? And he's saying, oh, we don't have free will. And people say, oh, well, what we do? He's like, oh, no, but this and this and this and this. It's like, okay, well, that's not what we're arguing about. Right. Or, or or it didn't seem like we were. And I think that's where what this part comes down to is he's saying, I invented follow-up in this specific implementation and format and structure and purpose. And it's like, okay. Right. Con congratulations, I guess. Like So... The difference I think here, and maybe this is the same argument you can apply to the free will discussion, is that he's not arguing that he invented the term follow-up that fits into a sentence neatly like the one I just spoke. He's saying he invented capital F, all O, capital U, P, follow-up as a thing that's just like he's saying his definition of free, capital F, will, capital W, is this. And he's not talking about just free will as a, as a thing. But he's trying his, to define it as a specific boxed thing. His free will definition is basically butterfly effect. Right. Right. Which, well, which yeah. people don't talk about the butterfly effect when they talk about free will, or generally they're not, they're not talking about that aspect of it. That's, it's fine to bring that up, but that shouldn't be the all encompassing defining characteristic of whether or not someone has free will, whether the butterfly effect is a real thing or not. So, when you say butterfly effect, you mean that one tiny thing that we can't necessarily know about will cause everything to happen. Right. Or that, or that a tiny thing hasn't influenced our decisions and actions down right. the road. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's where his idea of, well, we don't have free will comes from. It's like, well, you have to, you have to say that you don't because everything that you do affects everything else. Right. Right. So. That and, no, and that, like, I don't yeah. want to get into the free will discussion. I don't either. I kind of <laughs> do, but I don't, because I haven't right. thought about it long enough recently. Right. But anyway, r related to this follow-up thing, I guess, yeah, it, it comes down to if his definition of invention or implementation, whatever, is his idea of what follow-up is, fine. I'm okay right. with that. 
if he's saying that people who do quote unquote follow up, whether they define it as such or implement it in the same way that that originated from his implementation of it. No, I don't agree with that. Right. And I think that we have reached a place where we're both okay with what the other is saying. Yes. I don't think we've reached any kind of consensus, but I think we have danced around each other enough that we're both comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now let's get into follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, you, there's a story in here that I find hilarious, mostly because I know how much you love Pebble. Yes. I... I mean, I loved the idea of it back when it was the first smartwatch. Now, not so much because now they're a couple of years behind and mm-hmm. ultimately done because Fitbit bought them. Right. Uh, and the original news coming out of that sale was that the Pebble line of devices would stop working at some point once their servers got unplugged. But now they've come out and said that the devices will in fact start working. They're going to update the app and the structure, I'm assuming, of how it pulls notifications and such. So that is not relying on Pebble's side, that you can do it all locally on your phone through the app, which is great. So those who have purchased Pebbles or are still even possibly thinking of buying one, if they're even being sold anywhere, uh, you can rest assured that, at least as far as Pebble saying, they'll continue to work even after their their server room goes dark darker than it already is (laughs) (laughs) this is very confusing to me do you like are you also confused by this i don't understand i guess i just didn't like i didn't read this article that closely why like people who've already bought them that's that's fine i guess having it having some understanding that will continue to work in the same way that it did is is a good thing why, like, I don't understand why anyone would want to buy one now, knowing that it's already been end of life. Even if it's end of life, is that it will continue in perpetuity? I don't. I. It just doesn't. It doesn't do it for me personally. So if Best Buy is having a blowout sale, seventy five percent off Pebbles, so you can pick one up for forty bucks. <laughs> okay. I, so well, would would you not buy one then, even as like a basic activity tracker with smartwatch functionality? Well, I already have a basic activity well, tracker. Well, assuming you don't, Rob. Well, I know. Put I'm, yourself think, in someone's shoes who doesn't. I would have bought a Pebble before if I had wanted one. And to me, like, I'm not going to buy something that I don't necessarily want just because it's cheaper. This is, so you mentioned, you you said Best Buy, right? Sure. Yeah, I did. I worked at Best Buy for three shifts back in 2013. And I was there getting trained during the great blackberry playbook fire sale when they blackberry playbook was heavily discounted and shipped to a bunch of i guess probably other places but there were lots sent to best buy people were coming in and requesting and buying these tablets because they were i think they were 50 or 100 dollars maybe and i just kept saying i said to anybody who asked i was like don't buy that just like it's cheap yes but it does nothing it's and it's already been end of life like it's not this is not a good product and it's not getting any better. Right. That's my corollary. I'm never going to spend money on something just because it's cheaper than it normally is. But first of all, that's you. That's not mm. other oh, people. Yeah, Second of all, you have to put it into context of the price, like the cost investment. Yeah. Like if the tablet was still $100, yes, I think that's worth not buying Okay. if there's something better out there. 
because there's comparable Android tablets that aren't end of life, or at least right. this, the platform isn't. The tablet themselves yeah. and even yeah. the care, the manufacturer might have end of life it, whatever, but the platform isn't end of life. Right. Right. With this Pebble thing, say you could pick up just your baseline or base model Pebble watch for $40. I don't know if that's a real price. I'm sure it could be somewhere. Sure. That's a comparable price to a standard activity tracker. So if you're already in the market for an activity tracker, okay, and you're already shopping around and the necessity of an activity tracker is basically to count steps, which is an accelerometer, Mm -hmm. which the Pebble has, and it's kind of hard to screw that part up, then anything else, anything extra is bonus. So if you can get the notification functionality, uh, just the watch aspect, that's extra, which should push you towards possibly buying a Pebble if you know that it will continue to work, even if it's not supported from a technical improvements, bug fixes, whatever standpoint, at least it will continue functioning as it has been, then you should be okay investing that smaller amount, relatively smaller amount of money versus... Yeah, if it's a two hundred dollar discount for five hundred versus a forty dollar that was discounted from one hundred and fifty, then mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a different kind of story. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned the playbook because <laughs> one of my coworkers, when he saw that BlackBerry was releasing a tablet, he bought it like when it was released. Yeah, and then it was like end of life. I don't know what six months later or whatever it was. If that, yeah, if that, and he's like, I, he he regretted jumping mm. on that bandwagon. Yeah. I guess the thing that I don't get is that when, when Pebble was first bought and they said they were shutting everything down, what would they have done? Like what would have happened? Would your devices just have been bricked if they didn't do extra work? I I feel like this was always going to be what happened. Like unless notifications were going through Pebble's servers before hitting your phone, like how would it not work this way? Yeah. I don't know how the server integration works. Like, Mm -hmm. We, we've seen enough with, like, well, both you and I have played Pokemon Go, and there's a lot of server stuff that goes on that <laughs> cripples your app for hours yes. at a time. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not surprised that there's a reliance on servers, even if on the surface it seems like there shouldn't be. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if it's about, yeah, sending notifications through mm. it or some sort of heartbeat check with the server. Yeah. Like, who knows? Who to, knows what To it me, is. yeah. It seems... It seems different to me because th- than Pokemon Go specifically, like those kinds of apps in that the watch necessarily, like all function that goes to the watch necessarily has to come through the phone. It doesn't have to, like mm-hmm. there's no there's no stop at the server between the phone and the watch because the watch isn't connected to anything but the phone. Right. And I don't know how it, how it would work when you're using your watch or your phone for that matter, without internet access, right. if it has the same sort of cripple effect, like if it kind of goes into hibernation till it sees internet connection again, and then it resyncs, but if it goes too long, then it dies. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe yeah. someone who's used Pebble more would, would be able to comment on that. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if not having access to your service cripples it, then what, what does it do when it doesn't have internet access? So, right. Like with, with my watch, and I'm sure iOS is, or the Apple Watch is the same, if it's not on internet, it just continues functioning. You just can't have that same functionality, but it right. still works. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually thinking one of the things that is weird is that now that I have the watch and I kind of trust that notifications are coming to it, I 
I don't necessarily always make sure I have my phone on me, especially when I'm in the house. And it's a little disconcerting that it doesn't alert you that you're out of range of the watch, or that the phone is out of range of the watch. It it does tell if you look at it, it'll tell you that it doesn't have a connection anymore. Oh, really? But it doesn't beep or ping or anything to mm. say I lost connection. Right. Yeah. The gear it does like a quick vibrate mm. when it loses when it switches from Bluetooth to standalone and or Wi-Fi. Right. Connectivity. Mm. Uh, like it doesn't show like a visible notification, but if it vibrates and I look and there's no signal that there's a notification, then I'll swipe down it. Oh yeah, sure enough, it lost connectivity from the phone. Right. So that's interesting that the the Apple Watch doesn't do a similar type ping. Yeah. It. Yeah. I don't. Um. It's fine. I I like the smartwatch thing, but the Pebble thing doesn't seem like a smartwatch thing. It seems more like a like a fitness tracker, I guess, with notifications also. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of what your like purpose for buying it should be. Yeah. Is is a fitness tracker with added functionality. It's not didn't seem like it was supposed to compete with your Android Wear and Apple Watch devices and, and right. Tizen, for that matter. Lately, it has been with the new color screens and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and just yeah. trying to make it look more smartwatchy. But I think the people who bought it still kind of were more in the market for fitness tracker, but also wanted the notifications. And the battery life was the other thing that sold the pebble yeah, a lot yeah. especially in the early days of the smartwatch where you couldn't even get a full day's use out of a smartwatch with on a single charge right so like nowadays your your smartwatches are are a lot more power efficient and they aggressively shut their screen off and do you know whatnot for for power saving so right i think pebbles kind of lost that market a little bit because people really only care about a full day because they're going to throw it on the charger at the end of the day anyway right so yeah. So Pebble's going to keep working. Mike is apparently going to buy one as soon as they go on sale. Um, Dual smartwatch lifestyle. Yes. You know all about that. <laughs> I did that as we'll probably maybe get to this episode. I, I did do that for a little while. Um, there's one more thing here that I wanted to just mention and follow up. We don't have to talk about it for a long time. Um, but I assume you are at least caught up, not necessarily with the latest episode, but of more recent episodes of the accidental tech podcast where they talked about using services. I'm going to categorize IFTTT as one of these services, but kind of automation services where you have to build little widgets or applets or programs to do tasks or connect um, services together. You did listen to that episode, yes. right? Yeah, I did. Okay. And I, I don't know if we're, that if either of us is the best case to compare ourselves to the non-programmers, Mike and Gray from Cortex. But I did want to think, I did want to ask you if you considered yourself a programmer for kind of being familiar with little scripts or little things like IFTTT that you use. Do you consider that programming? I don't consider that programming. I liked Mike's categorization of it as automating. Mm-hmm. He's an automator, not a programmer, right. which I... I agree with. I think it's it's funny to call them developers or programmers because yeah. they're trying not to be or they, they're semi-actively against being categorized as that. Yeah. But I, I like the idea of being considered an automator. I think I'm probably more... I wouldn't even consider myself an automator because there's a lot more I could do. And right. I'll even like do something like, I could automate this, but I don't really want to. <laughs> Just 
it's effort and <laughs> don't really have time for it or whatever. I don't know. Just not motivated enough to go ahead with it. But I'm definitely a, I don't know if you call it like an IoT evangelizer or just a cloud evangelizer. I don't know how you'd call it, but just using the internet to its greatest benefit in ways that are convenient for you. Okay. Like, so I, I won't go out of my way to use cloud services and the internet when it's just more of a hassle to, but if mm. it's a simple thing to do, like with cloud backups and sharing from the cloud or even IFTTT with a lot of different things, it's, it's worth my time and effort to do that for how often I'd need to do something. Yeah. Right. Uh, but when it's just doing it for the sake of doing it, I'm not at that point yet. Like it sounds right. like Mike does that, which is great. Mm, mm. And and I can appreciate how, why anyone would want to do it. I'm not at that point though. So if I was at that point, I'd say, oh yeah, totally. I'm, I'm a automator slash, you know, workflow programmer or whatever you want to call it. Right. But at this point, I'm just, I use internet and cloud services when they're convenient and beneficial to me. Right. We did we ever talk about IFTTT and how they should there, there's so much more they could do to actually turn people from automators into programmers and like stacking multiple things on top of each other do we ever talk, actually talk about that uh we have we've talked about how they were lacking before about yeah being able to kind of link certain things together i think with their latest implementation of macros what do they call them they're called applets applets yes that's what it's like uh, they're getting a bit closer to what we had talked about before-ish. So we talked about this. I don't think it was on the show, but when they first launched this, they did that relaunch, the rebranding and calling things applets. We thought, or I thought at least, that they were doing that, that they were doing things where you could chain multiple actions together. But I, I, I don't think they actually changed anything about the functionality of IFTTT. They might have added new services, but I don't think there's anything extra you can do with mm. recipes, which is what they used to be called. Because I, I know think I, you can string I know I had, things together. I know I'd gone in to change a bunch of my recipes because before there wasn't a way to directly trigger certain things using existing, uh, or no, I couldn't perform certain actions using the triggers that they had. Okay. But then they, since the change, I think they allowed a bit more mix and matching of triggers. Hmm. But not, you can't say do one thing and have it trigger five other things in one recipe. You have to create five recipes. No, no. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that part's not there. And I haven't looked. I haven't needed to do that, so I didn't notice that that was there. It wasn't there, but I think you're you're right. That definitely wasn't there before, and it it Mm -hmm. may not be there right now. One thing that I think would be really useful, another, like, IFTTT, obviously, the team listens to this show, so anything we say will be implemented within six months. Um would be IFTT teams. I think that's a great branding opportunity, but also I think it'd be great to be able to have one person, like I want to write a recipe or an applet, I guess now, and have you be able to, if you, like say I have an Instapaper or Pocket recipe that sends something to Twitter or sends something to Slack or sends something to a Google spreadsheet like we do for this show, I would love to be able to set up a recipe and if you tie in those same services that the recipe uses, you could just say, I want to use this recipe too. And then it would be available to you. And anything you sent would be piped directly. Like, so you and I could have the same, use the same recipe for the same thing, but like tweak the parameters of it slightly. So like what I would want to do, say when we're, the way I save 
stories, and I think you do as well, for this show is to send web links, like parse them apart and put them into a Google spreadsheet. But we each have our own implementation of that recipe. And it would be really cool if you could just, if one person could write that and then you could piggyback on what I had done, but it's just not, it's just not a thing. So by, by using the same accounts or putting in your own account, not the same account necessarily, but like linking your, basically my IFTTT login account would tell your IFTTT login account that someone is sharing a recipe with you and then you could tie into it. You could leave everything exactly the same, or you could tweak it. Like say you use pocket instead of Instapaper, it would give you the parameters you need and you would it would either automatically, I guess it could automatically know if it's like a read later app, it could pull these things, or if it's a Twitter app, it could pull these things. But it would know that for this recipe to work, it needs these things. And then ask you, where do you want to get these things from? And you'd say, oh, I want to get them from my newspaper account, or oh, I want to get them from my pocket account. And it would go, okay. So when you save something to pocket, it will use the URL, the title, and all this stuff. And then it will feed it into my recipe that I've created. And then send it to whatever things you want. Like I, I, it just seems like that kind of collaborative feature would mean that even if only one person on a given team doing these actions is an automator as, as we're calling them now, you'd only need one automator on any given group of people to actually have everyone be able to use these services. Like I could share a recipe with Nick right now. Nick doesn't do any of that stuff. And so when he saves, when he saves a story, he just posts, he just pastes the link into the document and types in whatever title and description he wants or grabs the headliner. I don't even know what he does, but it's much less automated than me. Like all I do is save a story to Instapaper and it gets, it shows up on my spreadsheet. Right. I kind of know what you mean. Like, yeah, the, the recipe sharing functionality of, if is, uh, not great or hasn't been great historically i don't know if it's changed recently because i haven't tried recently mm-hmm. um because you end up having because you can't share a recipe directly from your current you have to like create like a generic one yeah you have and to then, and, and then publish post, your recipe publish it publicly because you publish all your private ones privately but if you want to yeah. share it, it has to be public but then you have to recreate it it's like that's not worth it like that's you, not you don't have to necessarily fully recreate it i get that they have done some of this kind of thing but yeah, you have to go in and you have to specify all the pieces that you want. Like you're basically creating your own recipe using the starting point of mine, but they're not linked in any way. And I yeah. think it would benefit. It, this would be more of a benefit, I would say, if they did have the ability to say, say I save one link to Instapaper, I want it to post to Slack channel, I want it to post to a Google spreadsheet, and I want it to post to Twitter. Right now, that's just three recipes. Right. And so if you, like, you have those three recipes, I believe. Yeah. And I have two of those three. Well, I actually have three, but I don't use the one, the Twitter one. Um, Which you should. I know. (laughs) But I don't currently. And if I did, they would be three different recipes from yours. And we currently, when we both have a different Google spreadsheet that we're saving to, like, I would love for us, me to be able to share a recipe with you that sends things to a common Google Doc spreadsheet. And you could, we could both have the recipe point to the same Google spreadsheet. Yeah. But our recipes both have to be set up in the exact same way or it would, like, it would be a formatting slash, like, we'd have to literally, 
almost be in the same room or like be on a phone call collaborating, trying to get our recipes to match exactly. Or I'd have to like send you screenshots. Like we would have to work really hard in order to get our recipe to match exactly. Whereas I could say, I want Mike to be able to share into this exact spreadsheet. I want him to like, I want to go and pick a Google drive sheet and say, I want to share to that specific sheet, not something with this path in my drive. That's kind of the same thing though. It, I, I get what you're saying in that it kind of is, but it's specifically not when it comes to people who aren't very necessarily as savvy as you or I, right. like for you and I, I think it is effectively identical, but if we're talking about someone who doesn't know the power features of IFTTT or isn't really familiar with automation at all to them, that would, what I just said would be complete gibberish, right? They wouldn't, if I said, Oh, just do that. They'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking right. about. What's IFTTT. Yeah. And they wouldn't. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is like a pro feature. Absolutely. Not, not to get into it. pro versus plebs, but <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're talking about pro features and that's not where right. the automation that's market more is. Where, yeah. Right. Like that's not where the money is. And that's where workflow was and it got acquired because it was such a good idea. Right. So, and that's kind of where the uncertainty is, whether this is a good or bad thing of the acquisition, whether it's going to become the right. pro features that are going to become better and better supported or if it's like, let's make this easily accessible to everyone, right. which it will reduce the proness of it. Hopefully both on some level. Hopefully at least maintain the proness and add better accessibility right. for the, like, for everyone else. I don't care if you hide the proness, like make it go here to advanced right. mode or right. like, I don't well, mind like, that. Like, like people said before, anyone who's going to find those features are going to go to file advanced anyway, right? right? Or edit preferences. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's the first ev- menu you go into to say, what can I do to make this better what can for i me, do yeah right whereas <laughs> a lot of people might not even know those areas exist which right. is fine like if they don't need it then they're not going to look for it yeah so so that's kind of where it's like yeah like you said bury it so it's not you know accidentally going to enable all these things but mm-hmm. have them available to use if it would help you yeah um to go back to the very beginning question i asked you i used to consider myself an automator but i think i'm now a programmer in the last six months, I'm pretty sure it switched. Like I kind of knew how to program a little bit, but now I'm fully like it's most of my job now is programming. Right. Even if that's not my job description. That's, that's not the question you asked though. I know. I know. So I'm saying within the context of automation, the automation part specifically mm-hmm. as it relates to non work projects. Yeah. Are you on the level of like, crazy workflow implementations or IFTTT or were you more like me where when it's convenient and beneficial, you'll do it. Um, it's getting more and more to be like, I once I had bought, I had bought workflow before, but at the time I didn't really have any specific use for it. And my current method to share, like for instance, sharing episodes of the podcast, it's annoying to go in every single time, get the metadata from an episode and share it. So I created a Google spreadsheet that would pull parts of the rss feed out and then paste them and then kind of mix and combine them and concatenate them into an actual tweet formula when workflow went free that day i went in downloaded it again and started trying to replicate that and it did work honestly i think my spreadsheet is actually fast it was faster to actually create but my workflow now all i have to do is go into like my notification center hit share a new episode and then it'll ask me which show i want to share and then i hit the show and then it copies that 
it copies the text of the tweet into the clipboard and then I just paste it into Twitter or Facebook or wherever. Mm-hmm. And so that became an order of magnitude better for me than having to go into sheets and copy the text and then go paste it into Twitter. Right. Yeah. And, and you might look at it as well. How much time have you actually saved? Right. Like QOL improvements are worth something too. Oh yeah. Like definitely. Right? To invest a couple hours to set up the automation for even if you're not saving those couple hours, at least it's a nicer experience to do it when you do do it. Yeah. It's like the death by a thousand paper cuts type yes. thing, right? <laughs> Did, <laughs> I I had my mind blown a little bit this week. Like I said, most of my job at work now is dedicated because my job is relatively easy for me. It's not that complicated. Um, I've started automating parts of it at like basically anytime I do a task, I just automate it first and then do the automated version. Um, I found out that there are people in the world who actually like the repetitiveness of doing things themselves without any automation. Like they just going, being able to go into work, turn your brain off and just do a thing for eight hours is comforting to me. And uh, I found that it's not comforting to me. That would be like... I can't think of anything that I would rather less do than that. Right. To me, I'm the exact opposite. Like if I could spend eight hours tackling a thing and then at the last minute, like if I could spend eight hours thinking really hard about how to solve a problem and working towards a solution. And then at the end of the eight hours hit run and do the same amount of work. Like I would way rather do that eight hours of work. Right. That's kind of like with me where when I encounter a challenge at work, Mm. I'll like, think about it i'll do it I'm like yeah okay solved it and it's like okay now do that 20 more times it's like yeah what i don't want to do that like i already solved it <laughs> yeah it's like it's done <laughs> yeah right so it's like and and i think i don't know if that's something wrong with me where it's like my enjoyment comes from solving it but once yeah. i have to start doing it off more and more it's like i already did it though like yeah, even if yeah. it's variations of the same problem mm-hmm. then i'm i'm kind of okay doing it well then your sol- my solution at least becomes how do I generalize this, my thing that I did to be able to cover all of the scenarios? Right. Uh, the the yeah. one downside of automating though is that it does take a human out of the equation a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like I was working on a spreadsheet at work and at first I was, it was kind of screening data, like QCing data a little bit. So at first I was like doing some level of counting and then, doing something once that count ex- like went over a certain number okay. right <laughs> and i'm like hmm this is I a feel, loop <laughs> yeah <laughs> this, is a little, this is a little automating so i was able to just do a conditional formatting and and yeah. do a bit of stuff from there like and i could have automated the actual action mm-hmm. but i wanted the action to still be me so that i could still have that element of like screening data yeah like yeah. i didn't want the computer to be doing all that but as far yeah. as identifying what things needed to be actioned upon mm-hmm. it's like i'll i'll just do my conditioning conditional formatting and go with it but yeah I, I can see how people might want to maintain that level of interaction with what they're working on to have yeah. that then there's people who don't even use like keyboard shortcuts this will like <laughs> highlight edit cut it's like you know control x is a thing right like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah work for me has become very different from what my job is supposed to be and I really enjoyed it. I I specifically, like you mentioned having a human there to do the kind of QC and not just having it literally be the machine deciding when to do the things. Yeah. What I have tried to do 
is as opposed to automating the entire task, just being able to get it so that every person that has to get this work done can do it quickly and easily. So I'm not replacing a task necessarily. I mean, I'm replacing the work in a task, not the task itself. As opposed to this task, apparently there's a thing we have to do at the end of every competition year that apparently takes one person month to do. And it's not one person doing it. It's like 12 or 13, eh, probably about maybe five or six, seven people. But So seven month, man months? Com- no, combined, it's about a month oh, between okay. seven people. And oh, so it is, but it's all seven people working on it for a month. All seven people working on it, one month total work between the seven people. So approximately four a days A seventh of each. a month each? Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, and the program that, again, we talk about generalizing and making things apply to all variations of a task. The program that I wrote already for past stages of the competition can turn that four days per person task into approximately 10 minutes. Like it's, <laughs> it's not even fair. Right. And yeah, but, but I know that there are some people apparently this and this again this blew my mind but there are some people that would actually rather spend those four days like that four days to me is so much more useful if i spend the first three days and seven hours doing automating other things like Mm -hmm. i would way rather do that and then with all the time you saved you can browse reddit and youtube who would do that no one (laughs) what is reddit (laughs) (laughs) so we're halfway through if not more and we are out of follow-up. Do you, I don't know, I kind of wanted to touch on things that I had to say about the S7, but I also have, what, what do you, what's your story here that you find the most interesting? Uh, we could talk about WhatsApp digital payments if you're interested yeah. in that. I, I read a very interesting, well, interesting in the stupidest way possible piece about digital payments. So why don't you, why don't you tell me this and then we can, okay. I, I have some stuff to add on digital payments as a whole. Okay, so I guess the idea is that WhatsApp has obviously gotten to be the biggest or one of the biggest. Between it and Facebook is definitely the biggest. Actually, a couple of weeks ago we talked about, I mean, at this point a couple of months ago, but talked about that WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger are globally the largest share of messaging platforms right. in the world. Um, so I guess they're fairly big in India, and there's movement now to have a peer-to-peer payment functionality within whatsapp i think starting out in india and presumably rolling out to other parts of the world if not Mm. all of the world and it just got me thinking about how and i guess the context of this is that whatsapp is needing to be monetized well not needing to be but for it to be sustainable they they ideally want to have some way to monetize Mm -hmm. the the people that are using whatsapp so i mean their old monetization plan was so good. It was 99 cents a year that right. why not just go back to that? Well, and yeah, that's, I guess one idea, but they're, they're looking at a bit, maybe more lucrative ways to do it. And obviously one of those is to have a level of, uh, per, not a per message thing, but kind of like a bit more of a regular payment than 99 cents a year. Right. And, uh, this is seemingly going to be, an implementation of peer-to-peer payments where they're obviously going to be taking some sort of commission on each transaction, similar to most other uh, Interaki transfers or PayPal payments or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, 
the defense or the justification for having WhatsApp implement this is that there's so many users already and a lack of a ubiquitous peer-to-peer payment method that there's room in the market, I think, for something like payments within WhatsApp or any other messaging service for that matter. Yeah. So uh, what are are your thoughts on this? Uh, You you said that you had read something. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this first and then we can switch gears to it, but it's related. Um, yeah, the, the digital payments market itself is so new that a lot of older people, especially like younger people, I think are on board, but older people are still wary. Like they hear online shopping or online banking and it's still new to them. And so I don't, but I don't think they're the target of WhatsApp's push to have uh, is this just this is just peer to peer payments from what I could gather about. from it? Yeah. Well, what else? Would, what are you thinking? Oh, just well, online payments in general. Making like payments. App, yeah. Like similar to Apple Pay is right. what you're thinking. I I don't think that there is any online payment system that could exist that takes a commission from its users because banks already have transfers that are free or relatively cheap. So you're saying that doing the commission model won't be successful? I don't, I don't, I mean, it might be, but it would have to be a really tiny commission because it it needs to be though, when you have like a billion users. Well, I, I, I'm not saying it needs to be huge, but like if you had a, if you had maybe a 0.1% commission, that would be fine. But like the, the amounts of money that these people are, that people are going to be transferring peer to peer is so small that in aggregate, it would be a big market, but each individual one to five dollar payment that would be the majority like the median there's no way it would be more than five dollars maybe 20 the median oh median okay sorry yeah i think most payments would be between maybe five maybe five and ten dollars but uh it just strikes me like you can't you can't take a 10 percent commission on a five dollar payment oh no of course not you wouldn't take 10 that's crazy i was thinking like one percent no but one percent on a five dollar payment is five cents still right. like i think that's, that's still too much i'm okay with that like you would be so would that be if okay, so, let, okay let's Robin, to, if someone owed you five dollars and you end up getting 4.95 out of it because the person didn't account for the extra commission that was taken off would you complain yes really you say where's the, my five cents no i would complain to the merchant not to the person we're talking people peer-to-peer not right person to walmart like so if you if you send five dollars to someone yes that person gets five dollars whether you'd get charged five dollars that would be the issue like if it was taking one percent you'd get charged either way i'd be fine if i had to pay 505 instead of five i'd be okay for the convenience of doing it right within the app and not having to go into my interact e-transfer set up the password like all this kind of garbage like yeah assuming there's some level of encryption and verification baked into whatsapp the the reason these services have taken like there was rumors like even two or three years ago that Apple was going to implement a peer to peer payment system. Once Apple Pay was rumored, it was like okay, well peer to peer will also be a thing, and that hasn't shown up yet. But it is coming. Like I don't know if you saw um, in the news this week, there was uh, the Starbucks app app got an update with an iMessage app that now allows you to gift Starbucks gift cards to one another in the mm-hmm. Messages app. And that to me is like testing ground for peer-to-peer payments because that it's like a third-party service. But the only reason it's not a thing is that like there's no Apple wallet balance. 
right? The it, Apple Pay would have to be a mediator, like a middle ground between banks. And I don't think they're they've ne- that would take a lot of agreement with banks right. to f- get because that's most of what they want to do. Yeah, it's a tricky thing because on one hand you have these other tech companies starting to behave like banks. Yes. And then they'll have to be regulated and licensed like banks, which mm-hmm. they don't want, I'm assuming. And I don't then think anybody ha- would want that. <laughs> then you have the idea of partnerships with banks. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, why would the banks want to do that when that's, again, their primary yeah. way of getting customers or having yep. customers within their app or whatever, right? Like banks want customers on their website, in their branches, in their apps. They don't want ways to avoid having that because then where's the exposure like the brand advertising and that kind of thing yeah. where showing new products new interest rates whatever right that's how banks advertise mm-hmm. so banks don't want that so it's like well where do you go from there like yeah i don't know it's, it's 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 a hard it's a hard kind of thing to work with like i don't know if we did we end up talking about it here how facebook messenger is starting to do like their bot into integration with yeah. banks so that you can add a bank into Facebook Messenger and perform account activity. Like I don't with, think we talked about that aspect yeah. of it. So so yeah, if you add like CIBC on Facebook Messenger and then say move I think you can like check account balance, maybe. And then you mm-hmm. can also is really basic. I think it might just be pulling account info. I don't even know if you can do... I hope it's a, really basic because the idea yeah. that you can go into Facebook Messenger and transfer money around... <laughs> I that's, a, that's the thing. I don't think you can move money around, but I, I there's something. I'd have to okay. go back and I and don't think up, you should be able to move money around unless no, you're I agree. able to authenticate Messenger. <laughs> right. So, so that is... But I guess what I'm getting at is there's already a movement of banks yeah. to, yeah, yeah. you know, get where the kids are, right? Yep. Yeah. So this is, I think, another step towards that. But then when you look at the peer-to-peer aspect where you're not inter- impl- uh, interfacing with businesses or banks themselves, yeah, yeah, then yeah, maybe it has to be the kind of thing where you're topping up like a wallet, like a WhatsApp wallet balance, mm-hmm. right? So that you're, you're stepping out of the banking game and you're kind of more on the account balance transfer game. <laughs> I, but I don't know if that's really even different from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah. So the the issue that I think the biggest thing that's standing in the way of I'm going to use Canada's banks as a microcosm of the world's banks is that we have interacty transfers that people use to send money to one another back and forth, which have at, there are a couple banks like RBC which I have but don't actually use as a checking account. They have free interacty transfers, personal use, and. That is the only circumstance under which I would consider using an e-transfer to transfer, you know, sh- meal sharing amounts of money. Like say so splitting a bill rather than splitting a bill, one person pays and everyone pays that person back for like pizza. I would never consider using the, I mean, the, the old Intraki transfer fee was standard 150 and they're starting to move away from that. Now, some banks have a dollar Intraki transfer fee. Some banks, like I think TD, if you're under a certain amount of th- might be a 50 or a hundred dollars. It's a 50 cent e-transfer fee. You're starting to get into the reasonable area, but on a $5 payment, you're still not going to take a 50 cent transfer fee. So until it gets to a point where that interact e-transfer, and this is, this is not any of the banks specifically, this is interact until they implement a percentage based commission or fee, then you're not going to use it for micropayments unless it's free. 
we're specifically talking about micropayments, big yeah. payments. Like if you're if you're making a payment to I don't know your landlord via e-transfer, yeah, and you you're pay not going you're not going to care about a buck, yeah, right. Yeah. It, and for me, the reason that I switched away from TD when they had the dollar fifty transfer fee was specifically on principle. I didn't like the idea of sending a dollar or a dollar fifty every time I wanted to do an e-transfer. And since I moved away from them, I have not paid a cent in transfer, like personal transfer fees. Because out of principle, I refuse to do it. Either I transfer money to my RBC account to send it to people, or I use the email money transfer that Tangerine has to send money for free. But I've never used... I Since I had a bank that didn't use, didn't take fees for transfers, I haven't used one that did. It's the kind of thing where once once banks start to do it, and that people realize, oh, I can save this dollar every time. And if I'm making three or four microtransfers a month or a week, then it starts to add up and you start to see that. And like the same thing with banking fees in general. Like once you realize that there is no fee banking or very low fee banking, you're not going to want to pay fees all the time. You're, right. The bank is already making money off the fact that money is in your account. They're already making interest off that. And people are realizing that and going with the banks that have no fees. So you're saying that, like, it sounds like you do a lot more of the microtransactions than I do. Um, I do, yeah, I would say I do at least, on average, three to four a month. Some weeks or months are higher, but that's probably the average. Right. So most of your friends are on Facebook Messenger, it sounds like. Yeah. So... If Facebook Messenger had this functionality, because that's what we're talking about is the functionality yep. in general, yep. not WhatsApp yeah, yeah. specifically. If they had it, do you see your group of friends using that more than yes. you use the e-transfers right now? Mm-hmm. If Especially for- if the fees were nothing or a lot less. And and why is that? Because it's the single app that all of you are on already that you're doing your communication on anyway? Because the fees are less. I would be making microtransfers all the time. If like The only reason I have any cash now at all ever is that like two or three merchants I use that I know, like my hairstylist, I know they don't have a debit machine. Right. Or between friends for right. giving and money that, back. That's the other reason. Yeah. But the, the main reason is like, oh, just paying back $5 or $10 to, to a friend for sharing meals usually. Mm-hmm. And that would completely go away if I could just... And this is a thing with Gmail and I believe with, even with Facebook Messenger in the States that they've started to let you do microtransactions and like Venmo and um, other things. Like PayPal in Canada is a similar thing, but I don't think it's really got... It doesn't have a lot of users that realize that functionality exists to send money between people. Well, I think that's why there's a market for peer-to-peer payments right now. Right, definitely. Because the ones that have tried haven't gained traction. Yeah, I think a lot of people... Yeah. I think a lot of people, they'd look at it and be, okay, well, if I'm going to dinner with a friend usually it's like, oh, I'll get this one, you get the next one type mm-hmm. thing, right? Like that's how people generally handle yep. those types of situations. But yeah, when it's 15 people all ordering takeout or pizza or whatever, then yeah, usually it's one person paying and then everyone paying back or yeah, that kind of thing, right? Or between that group of 15, you'd have groups of four that might work out payments between themselves. and But it's one person paying and then some level between all or some of the people paying each other various amounts of money, which... Yeah, right now is basically handled by cash. And if you're going to do peer-to-peer electronic, it's going to be PayPal or e-transfer. But yeah, maybe having a messenger service have peer-to-peer payments, you'll have 
a greater use of it. Mm-hmm. Similar to like location sharing. Like location sharing has always yeah. been possible through Google Maps. Like yeah. drop a pin, share your location. Well, it's always been possible for as long as like that's always been a thing. It's just now it's easier and more hyper aware. Like it's in. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like in these apps, like Hangouts, WhatsApp, Facebook, well, uh, Facebook Messenger itself. Messenger, messenger itself now has built in this is another sure. like, oh google oh for google messenger right no the, which one I mean, are you talking about there's so too. many messenger apps <laughs> um F- facebook messenger this okay. week added functionality that lets you share your location like apple's yeah. um kind of find my friends does yeah yeah i used that yesterday actually in a group conversation everyone can share their yeah. location and it's all it all shows up on the same map yeah and the default is an hour but you can like turn it off whatever yeah. That's that's kind of its own thing, and I I like that functionality. But I'm just talking about simply like, where are you? Yeah, send your location, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize, aside from the app having the functionality, being able to go into Google Maps, dropping a pin, sharing that location. Right. Like so yeah. many people don't know that they'll start trying to give directions. It's like just give me your location. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like I don't need directions. Let me write the address down <laughs> yeah. in my phone and <laughs> stop, stop saying go left. Just give me. <laughs> Right. So, but these apps having the ability to share your location in whatever form that is, that has more visibility and more people yep. are going to use it, even though it's always been possible through either its own services or a third party service. So, similar to payments, even if on the back end is still using PayPal, I, I think even that's more convenient if you can link your PayPal yeah. account. Yeah. That would right? be fine. And then you just send payments back and forth, but it's all through PayPal, but it's within the app. Yeah. Now that I'm talking about it, I think that actually makes more sense. Which, in Messenger or in a PayPal app? In whatever app. Like, link like your, PayPal has that. But to link your PayPal account with WhatsApp and then be able to do it within WhatsApp? Well, that's what I'm saying. That would be another level of... Yeah, that's what I'm saying they should do instead of trying to come up with their own right. peer-to-peer. It's like just, there's already PayPal mm-hmm. or whatever service you want to use. That, that supports peer-to-peer, right. just link that with the account. I think the thing is that there is money in PayPal. Like, PayPal is a business. They make money right. off that. No, and the, but that's where the commission part comes in. Right. It, so other companies would want to implement, would want to implement their own. Oh, I until see. Until it gets super regulated. Then, then add, like, an extra, add an extra 0.05% commission or whatever. <laughs> like, I guess. Right? Yeah. At, at a certain point, you have too many middlemen, but that second layer is not that point. So I I want to switch directions a little bit. This article here that I just um that will be in the notes in the Wall Street Journal is it's just so ridiculous. I it's talking about the states which I know is different than Canada. This US has had much slower adoption of NFC like tap to pay and like Android Pay and Apple Pay both use tap to pay. And the article starts off with someone saying that they have Apple Pay on their phone, but they're afraid to use it. Like, this is the old person that we were talking about before that hasn't, like, would call online shopping insecure or, like, worrisome. I'm, I don't worry at all about online shopping. Like, I know what sites to avoid <laughs> or that I should avoid a site um, if it wants me to enter my credit card information. But there's a graph about halfway through this article that is titled Apple Pay's Predicament, and it's talking about the adoption of Apple Pay compared to Amex, Discover, Visa, and MasterCard in the States. And if you, <laughs> if you go and look at this, 
it's so funny because it shows almost no use in 2014. Uh, almost 2 million, maybe 1.5 million uh, merchants that accept Apple Pay in 2015. And then about 3.5 million in 2016. And it shows all these other Amex, Discover, Visa, MasterCard, between 6 and 10 million um, merchants that accept it. But the trend line of Apple Pay compared to these other ones is just ridiculous. Like Apple Pay, it's so obviously going to overtake or at least catch up with within the next three years, all the other payments, like uh, all the other payment services. It's so, it's so, uh, what's the best word? Like it's so almost Luddidic to say, oh, people aren't using Apple Pay. Only 13% of iPhone customers have even used Apple Pay, which is the number quoted in this. Um, There's a quote in here from Eddie Q that, kind of gets right to the heart of the point that I'm trying to make is uh, he said in an interview, does it matter if we get there in two, three or five years? Ultimately, no. Like if you have, you can't look at this as, oh, we introduced Apple Pay and everyone isn't using it already. So obviously it's not going to take over the world. But if in 10 years, all, whether it's Apple Pay or whether it's just NFC and mobile payments, if it takes 10 years to take over the world and everyone is using it as the primary thing and people have already started moving on to the next thing after that, yeah, you're going to sound like an idiot in retrospect. And this article just reeks of that. The entire thing just sounds like it was written for an audience of people over 60 or over 70 even. Mm-hmm. I don't, what, what do you think looking at this or glancing at it if you if Well, you I, I was trying to get to it, but it got behind a paywall and I tried the Google trick <laughs> oh, and it really? didn't work. So um, anyway, I, as far as just what the story is trying to say, like I, I agree that you can talk about 13% adoption, but it's like, well, okay, what percent of Apple users were already using NFC, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, it's like, okay, well, yeah. do you look at those numbers, right? The conversion, I think the conversion rate from uh, tap to pay or swipe or chip or whatever it is that they, they were using before and starting yeah. to use Apple Pay, what's that number, right? Because yeah. that's the market you're going after. Like that's what they're competing against is the people who are using other forms of payment. Yeah. Um. And like, I wish my phone, like I wish Samsung Pay was a thing here or Android Pay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that's what I have. Uh, when you said it works sometimes or like it seems like it's going to work, <sighs> but then doesn't, right? Yeah. I mean, even if it did work, it's still not convenient enough for me to work, make it worth using. <laughs> right. A, because it's only TD that supports it yeah, right yeah. now for me. And TD is not my primary bank account. Like I have a right. credit card with them, but I don't... Uh, that's not my primary card. So okay. that's one disincentive for me to use it. And then the other is like, well, my card's right in my wallet. So <laughs> can just either pull my phone or pull my wallet. Like the same. If But that's where Samsung Pay comes in. Like now that I have a watch, mm. it'd be nice to be able to just hold my watch up and pay. Yeah. Right? Like that, that'd be awesome. But mm-hmm. I can't do that right now. I think CIBC is partnering with Samsung Pay right now for their, okay. uh, their payment method. But... I haven't heard much about that, but I think they're supposed to be one of the first to start using it. Right. So that might be a reason to start using them. But again, it's like, for me, I'm okay pulling up my card and tapping. Do do you know how I know this is going to be a thing within the next few years? Yesterday, I was at the pet store with Julia and she was paying for a treat for Teddy and I got her a watch for her birthday and she's been trying we're not sure she's going to keep it but yesterday at the pet store she just lifts up her wrist taps the button twice and 
Apple pays with her watch. And I was, she, she doesn't have, her phone doesn't support Apple pay on its own. So this is the first time this last two weeks has been the first time she's had that experience. But like my heart melted. I was like, she's doing it. It's going to be adopted by everybody. It's good enough that she actually wants to do it. It's just so much more convenient to not have to think about your wallet. Like if you're only, if you, if you have your wallet, it might be as easy to pull it out and tap, but combining the convenience part with the tokenization of um of like mobile payments meaning that you like it generates a new credit card number every time and there's literally no way that they can steal your information like even the merchants themselves like there's first of all there's no um (laughs) there's no way this person behind the counter is going to like read your credit card number and there's no way that like you can put your card through a skimmer. It just it removes all of the or maybe not all, but like a vast, vast majority of insecurities that credit cards have. There's no way that once people kind of get on board, which they already are starting to, that the security of it won't make banks push it as a as a feature like the security of mobile payments. And I just it. Yeah, like Eddie Q said, it doesn't matter if it's here in two years or five years. Once it's here, we're not going to go back. It's going to be like when the internet came, now nobody can imagine going back to a time when there was no internet. When mobile payments come, it's going to be the exact same thing. Once they hit, people aren't going to want to go back. I don't think it's going to be that dramatic of a paradigm shift. I think it's more like the way that we look in Canada anyway, look on swipe and sign payments. It's mm-hmm. like, seriously, you're getting me to sign this? Like, yeah. we look at the non-mobile payments that same way, I mm-hmm. think. I don't think it's as dramatic as internet versus no internet, but, you know, whenever someone's like, oh, can you sign this? I'm like, what? what? Why do I have to sign? Like, I just, like, it's, and it's stupid because I've put you in my chip or whatever. Sign. It's like, I don't have to sign. They're like, oh no, you have to it's like, whatever. Like, I'm not going to argue it, but yeah. I, I think just sometimes they're set up to have to ask for a signature, whatever. But yeah. it's like that initial question, like, seriously? Like, I, why am I, I, like, what year am I in, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I can see that happening. And I hope that happens. Like, yeah. I, do, I yeah. do appreciate the security of the chip and the tap and and the uh, NFC tokenization payments as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it... It just comes off to me reading this, being the per- a person that has used Apple Pay since it first came out on the card. Like I, w- I switched banks to specifically be able to use Apple Pay. And since it came out, I the only reason that I ever use my credit card is if I'm unsure if the merchant is actually going to be able to support tap. And otherwise, and, and at, that case, at that point, I have my card out anyway, so I usually just tap the card. But... I, it just, once people get a taste of how easy it is, like I honestly, um, I go to, like I go buy my lunch sometimes at a, at a buffet place that's under our building. And a lot of people, for some reason, like it's a very high percentage of people compared to my usual everyday life paid for that with cash. And I will literally like, they'll be in front of me in line paying with cash they will be like fumbling with their change, putting stuff back in their wallet. I, meanwhile, I've paid and I'm like passing them to go get utensils for lunch. <laughs> like I, and they don't ever actually see any card. They don't see what I'm doing. They're just like, they're just literally getting left in the dust by how obsolete cash is. 
Meanwhile, Canada's 2017, we've unveiled a new $10 bill <laughs> that looks very, very similar to the last $10 bill. Um, yeah, cash is, to me, completely obsolete. To most people, they just, I think, don't realize that it's obsolete. Yeah. Or they don't want a paper trail. <laughs> That's definitely the reason. <laughs> Those government employees, so shady. <laughs> oh, I mean more the I mean more cash. the businesses than the people paying, but <laughs> Right. <laughs> Start seeing cash discounts at places. Oh. I there's one vendor that uh that does like irrigation services and their thing is like, Oh, you can book over the phone or book online and you get whatever discount. Mm-hmm. But their A their online payment system is like baked into the website like it's not through paypal or that kind of thing okay. so you have to like rely on their own security for whatever yeah. is it wait like, it's through like moneris mm, or something isn't it no it's like just basic like credit card like i mean on the back end it's probably through whatever but like like i would um, hope it's https at least <laughs> but okay rob you've read enough articles on the false sense of security that https no is. okay i'm not saying just secured but like you're not you're not entering your credit sure. card number into a yes. blank field. No, it's not like a phishing site, <laughs> like a Google Forms. Yeah. Like. <laughs> no, it's, 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 but it's, anyway. And it then, has like some kind of secure. Sure. It has a little lock in the upper left corner. No, yes, I'm not... it does. <laughs> the, this it hangout to... is secure, Rob. Well, let me type my credit card password into the chat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's always some indication if you're paying on a legit site that accepts cards that says like, we accept Visa and MasterCard and like it will Sure, they can have a little JPEG under there that shows what credit cards they accept. That's not that's <laughs> not what I'm saying at all. Anyway, point the point of my story is that they're supposedly more convenient doing this online payment, but they make you pay ahead of time, like up front for this service. Right. Like not even like a deposit, like a full on payment, even mm-hmm. before they've come and done it. I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. Like you guys haven't even come and done the job yet. Okay, like, so I have a microcosm of this. Okay. The pizza place we go to mm-hmm. lets you pay online. That's that's a little different. How? Because you're paying for like. What a- if the pizza is bad? <laughs> sure, you could go with that, but I'm I'm a lot more willing to bet that my pizza is going to be okay enough for me to eat <laughs> than someone comes and just doesn't perform the yeah. service at no, all, verse or just totally screws it up. Right. But anyway, it really, it's that's not the difference. The difference is the amount of money involved. Let's be honest. Uh, I guess. Because if the know. pizza showed up, but it was like upside down, <laughs> you'd be like, uh, can I get my see, money back for this? Even even when. Yeah, right. But even then, like the guy's at your door right. and gives you the pizza and you look at it. and No, but you don't look at it. You just go. Well, I do. You look at it when you get upstairs. You do, you check his work before you, you let him leave. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it's that guy's work. It might have been the kitchen guy, but anyway. Point is, is that there's this online payment system this one company uses, and it's the 10% or whatever discount they're offering isn't worth it 10%. enough for me. It was on like $70. It's not that much. Oh, okay, okay. It's not like I thought we were talking like thousands of dollars. Oh, no, no, okay. no, 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 no. Like 70 bucks. Okay. Please. So, anyway. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with this. <laughs> Point is, is that there's not that there's reasons to not go with what's quote unquote the future for for various reasons. This one maybe is a bit different than. Did the you Apple quote pay. any of those reasons? I don't feel like that was actually a reason. <laughs> no, just like the way the site's set up. I don't know. You'd, you'd have to look at it. Like it you know me, like I'm, you're just I'm usually your stuff into I'm, an insecure site. I'm usually one of the first to adopt <laughs> these new things, but when it comes to this, like I don't know. 
online payments is one of those things where it's like use something legitimate. Like if they if they use the option yeah. or if they have the option for PayPal, like I'll use PayPal. Okay. Right. Right. But again, like if anything happened to my credit card info, like the credit card company is usually pretty good about yeah reimbursing yeah. for those kinds of faults. So yeah, that's ultimately what you're relying on. Credit cards are making enough money for the banks that. They are happy to pay out with any weird stuff that happens because they know they're still getting tons of money from you and everyone else. Or from us often, everyone else who is late on their payments. Yeah, the everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't miss a payment, I think you're probably losing the money, but that's okay. Some people at the casino have to win. I will tweet at them so badly if they don't (laughs) reimburse me. (laughs) Look at the tweet storm of a lifetime. That really is all you'd be able to do. <laughs> like call and tweet. <laughs> all right, Mike, we should wrap up for the week. Is there anything else you wanted to say? We didn't actually get to any of the things I wanted to talk about, but I'm I'm happy that we did talk about what we did. I'm glad we got to the automation thing. Mm, mm, it's been sitting there too. for a while. I, um, I will say I'm doing uh, a review of the S7 Edge one year too late, but I, <laughs> I was eager to try it out because I've never tried a flagship android phone before in its brand new state like not brand new but like in while it's not super old let let the record show that rob atrell made fun of my nexus 4 unboxing video a year I after a year after it was released granted it was a very poor video <laughs> so so <laughs> maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't have that going for it but <laughs> <laughs> i'm trusting that your production value is at least more than mine was yeah i'll yeah. So, okay, I'll say one thing before we go, just because, unless you really have to leave, which would be fine. The phone, this is in light of the fact that they released the S8, which has even less bezel than before. Um, You On the non-curved side. What? On the non-curved side, right? Like, otherwise it's edge-to-edge glass from... It's edge-to-edge, and there's a very, very tiny chin and forehead. Oh, wait, is is the edge the one that has both edges curved? The S7 edge has both edges curved oh, okay yeah. well there was one model maybe it was one of the first ones back the that only S6, had the one. i think had an edge model that was just one edge okay um and i think so i think this problem that i'm about to describe will be even worse on the s8 but it's the fact that to be able to pick something up you need a spot where there are two diametrically opposed sides that you can grab and while the phone is unlocked and open there that doesn't exist on this phone it barely exists on this phone and it doesn't exist at all in the s8 how do you pick up an s8 or an s7 without triggering any of the buttons the only way to do it that i've discovered is very gingerly cradling it underneath like scooping up underneath it or grabbing the forehead like basically by the camera because the bottom part of the phone is all soft software buttons like the back button and the app switcher but they're not they're, they're basically screen. Mm. If I'm watching a YouTube video and I go to and I grab the chin of the phone, I'm going to press one of those buttons. I do it all the time. How do you grab it? I don't. It's weird. Hmm. I'll have to watch your video on it. Mm-hmm. I tried to describe it and I tried to. I, I Do you demonstrate I it at least? I tried to show it. I didn't. Well, I demonstrated a little bit during the. Yeah. Maybe I should demonstrate it actually happening. Most of my last two weeks of using it while I'm watching videos and stuff is trying to avoid doing that. <laughs> so I've, I'm training myself to avoid it, but it makes, it makes me not want to pick it up. Like that's all right. I've learned is like, don't touch this. See, and I think for me, 
like I guess yeah, there's enough edge on each side that I just pick it up there, or I'll just lock it and then pick it up. Hmm. Like it just yeah. The point I tried to make is that I love the fact that the screen, like the the screen itself goes off the edge, but I don't think you need to be able to interact with the actual edges. I think the edges should be non touch sensitive or at least much better at rejecting when they when right. you're picking up the phone. So like display only? Yeah. Right. So you could still display whatever edge widgets that they have. But right. just wouldn't but it be would interactable. Know, like if you're if you're applying pressure to the edges, don't take that as a touch. Right. I, it's, Do you it's think that should be like solve, an accessibility but, feature at least? Yeah. Maybe. But so that that was my biggest downside to this thing. Also, I never use the headphone jack, so I don't care. RIP headphone jack. Because <laughs> <laughs> this one okay. does have the headphone jack? This one does. Well, yeah. the S8 does as well. Oh. Also, it is micro USB, which I thought was weird. I was expecting it to be USB-C. Mm. I didn't even mention that in the review that I recorded. There's all kinds of things that you think of after you've done a review. And I'm sure other tech people feel the same way. It's like, as soon as you finish it, you're like, oh yeah, and that, and that, oh yeah, and that. Yeah. That's almost the point of the first impressions video though. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, I will say goodbye to you, Mike, for another week. And we will come back next week and do another podcast, whatever it is. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Future Chat. You can head to unwindmedia.com slash feature chat for past episodes, as well as the notes for this episode. See you next week. Ciao. All right. I don't know. I, uh, I'm at 215 Pokemon caught. I don't even know what I'm at. Anyways, I got the Johto medal or the Kanto medal, whichever I have both now. Oh, okay. I caught a Sunkern yesterday, finally. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm... I'm still missing the fl- Sunflora, but I only right. need one or two more. Did you get Kingdra yet? Yep. Okay. Yeah, because I, I got a Dragon Scale. I don't know if you saw that. I had evolved mine, but it got Hydro Pump, yeah. which I'm pretty pissed about. I have three uh, Dragon Scales. So I've got lots of Dragon Scales. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I I, I want to wait to see if there's going to be a way to like modify your moves before just evolving right. a bunch of Kingdras. Yeah. But anyway... I have I hatched another Dratini and I now I have 137 Dragonite <laughs> candies. Well, like I I hatched three Larvitars and yeah. now I have 90 candies. Like Ooh. that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. You're almost to the spoofer level. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, I'll yeah. talk to you later. I was I'm glad to be back in this chair. Yeah, I'm glad to be doing future chat again. It was like, yeah. is the show even a thing anymore? What's going on? <laughs>